The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N.org. I wanted to say this about Jude before he comes. If I was going into battle, Jude could be my leader. I mean, the man's in poses. Just look at him. It's like, stand up. Stand up. Just look at that. Like, and he's got a good voice, and he looks good. But today, that's not why he's leading us in battle. None of that matters today. All that matters is what's inside his heart. The spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in Jude over these past few weeks, preparing him to lead us in battle with the sword of the word of God. We do well to listen to him. God bless you. Good morning. morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Good to be back up here. The, uh, the service down at St. James was very good. I was very encouraged by the people that faithfully show up down there. I hope this comes as no surprise, but we will be studying the book of James again this morning. Um, this morning we will be focusing on um, the second half of James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles, I will read aloud our sermon text. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time this morning. I thank you for the ability to preach your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I thank you for the discussion down at St. James. I thank you for the time of fellowship that we have with one another in your church. And I pray that the words of my mouth would pierce the souls and the hearts of those in this room this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, being the stand-in preacher for this morning... I would be remiss if I did not echo Pastor Ken's sentiments and encourage you to continue to read the book of James, all the five chapters, each week. We have seen throughout our time in his letter, and will continue to see today as we finish up chapter 4, that James is confronting the dispersed church of Jerusalem with a number of concerns. And although the letter of James was written in the first century, 
we will see this morning that those concerns are very relevant to the church in the present day in which we live. As we read last week from chapter 4, James is warning the church against worldliness. In verses 1 through 10, James warns against becoming a friend of the world and becoming an enemy of God. Instead, James provides several practices that we are to take up to allow us to fully submit our hearts to God. James further addresses, in verses 11 and 12, that speaking evil against one another and judging one another is equivalent to speaking evil against the law and judging the law. Now, in the text that we will examine this morning, James warns of the danger of arrogance and boasting. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, James is not condemning hard work and making money. That's not what he's after. If we begin to look beneath the surface of the text and seek a deeper understanding, we will see that James is confronting the internal motivation and the internal attitudes with which those actions are carried out. Verse 13 presents an internal attitude of presumption and selfish ambition that is being acted upon by the person portrayed. The person identified in these verses presumes that they have the strength with which to complete anything that they wish. If I want to do something, I'm going to put my head down and I'm, going to do, and I'm going to do it. This type of internal attitude neglects the providential control of the one true Lord and King, the creator of the universe, the God whose divine strength and greatness controls all matters of life. The individual doesn't have that power, do they? No, because only God has that power. So then, what does the presumptuous person have? They have pride. I'll say that again. What does the presumptuous person have? Pride. Now you may remember that James has spoken about pride before. We discussed it just last week. And if you take a look at verse number 6 of chapter 4, what does it say? God opposes the proud. James is very blunt when it comes to this. James is very blunt when it comes to the issue of pride. It is not just any other attitude that you might experience. Pride is being actively opposed by God. But God's opposition to the proud is not the only thing that verse 6 says, is it? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Don't worry, we'll be back to humility a little later in the sermon. We see a lot of presumption and boasting in the world around us, don't we? I see it, 
in my age group, there is a sentiment of individuality, the perception that you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. The concept of the American dream. There is an emphasis in the world on self-help, self-improvement, and self-righteousness. If you go on Amazon, for instance, you're constantly bombarded with self-help books and step-by-step procedures claiming to provide the solution to your problems. Maybe that's getting in shape, fixing your finances, fixing your marriage, controlling your emotions. Hey, read this book. It has all the solutions. It is important as Christians to be wary of these things. I'm not saying that trying to become a better person is fundamentally unchristian-like. However, the rest of the world does it a lot differently than we as Christians ought to. The world begins to idolize those things. They begin to consume your life in such a way that you are focusing on earthly success rather than seeking the one true God. Instead, we need to draw closer to God so that we can let him transform our lives through the Holy Spirit, not through self-help books and earthly wisdom. If we look back at the text from chapter 3 that Pastor Ken covered a couple of weeks ago, we will see that this is exactly what James was warning about in addressing wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Verse 14 from chapter 3 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There is a very clear parallel between this verse and the verse of chapter 4, verse 16, which says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And why is all such boasting evil? Because it is defined by wisdom from below, not wisdom from above. So I'll ask you, what is your internal attitude this morning? Maybe not even this morning, but throughout the week. Are you focused on personal gain? Is your internal attitude presumption? Are you leaning on earthly wisdom and earthly understanding? How closely were you paying attention a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Ken preached on wisdom from above? The end of chapter 3 says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let us lean fully into God and through faith in Jesus Christ come to a right relationship with him so that we may live in a life of righteousness sown in peace by the one who first made peace. And if you're wondering what a right relationship with God looks like, 
look back at the text. What does it say in verse 7 of chapter 4? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A right relationship with God looks like humbling yourself before him. It looks like accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and it looks like repenting for your sins. And what does falling humbly before God and having a right relationship get you? Now, remember when I said that we would get back to verse 6? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace. Greater grace. If you fully submit your heart to God, then the greater grace of God will be poured out into your life. The grace of God grants us the ability to have a life that we could never hope to have by ourselves. I like the phrase from John chapter 1, verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. If you're worried that there's no way that God could ever forgive you for the things that you have done, you are falling into the trap of presumption again. It is not about how much you have sinned, but about how powerful God is to forgive. That's so reassuring, isn't it? At least it should be. We have the gift of the grace of God. How about the reassurance found in the phrase, if the Lord wills? Isn't that reassuring? If the Lord wants something to happen in my life, then it will happen. We can trust in God's plan for us because he is in control. Because he is the one who gives grace to the humble. But the grace of God does not mean that we are not sinners and have not fallen short of his glory. I guarantee you that each one of us in this room is guilty of being presumptuous at some point in our lives. We presume that we have all the tools to make something happen without considering the will of the Lord. How often do we wake up in the morning excited about the plans for the day, presuming that we will accomplish everything? As I was preparing this sermon and going about my life in the weeks leading up to today, I was talking to my parents about my plan for the future. Oh, I'm going to do this and this. I'm going to finish paying off my student loans, and then I'll start saving for a car. And once I have a car, I'll save for a down payment for a house. Now that's all fine and dandy, but what's missing from that statement? What's missing is God. There was no mention of God anywhere in that plan. It made me pause and take a step back. Have I talked to God about my plans? Have I asked the Lord to guide me down the path that he wills? Or have I planned with arrogance, as if I have control over my own life? 
I would encourage you to examine your own life this morning and the plans that you have made, whether they are short-term or long-term, have you gone to God first? James addresses this type of presumption first in verse 14 and again in verse 15. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In his commentary, J.A. Motier uses three adjectives to describe the human condition in relation to presumption. The first is ignorance. You do not know. We do not have the wisdom that God has. We do not have the knowledge available to us to know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, we must rely on the God who created all things, knows all things, and is in control of all things. The second adjective that Motir uses is frailty. You are a mist that appears for a little time. We are insignificant, like a mist that appears and quickly disappears after a short amount of time. The final adjective that Motir uses is dependent. You ought to say, if the Lord wills. We are dependent on God because he is all-powerful, and we are subject to his will. In my Sunday school class that's being led by Tom and Brian, we've been discussing the ways in which your culture, personal experience, and personality influence the way in which you interpret the Bible. Now, I think we can all interpret the imagery of how quickly mist disappears, but when I read the sentence, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, my mind was intrigued. I wanted to quantify that statement. I have been conditioned through engineering school and simply by the way that my mind works to think in terms of math, science, and numbers. Now I know I mentioned math and I kind of lost a, little, a couple of you, so stay with me for a second. But does anyone know the average US life expectancy? Any guesses? Average, either, 83? Close. So it, it varies a little bit based on male or female and other life experiences, but it's roughly 80 years old. Now, some of you are overachievers, and you've already surpassed that, so congratulations. Um, others of you are getting close, so you might want to be careful in how many plans you make regardless. Um, but... If you take the average U.S. life expectancy, roughly 80 years, and you convert it to seconds, you get a little over 2.5 billion seconds. Now, 2.5 billion seconds seems like a lot until you really start to think about it, right? If you think of $2.5 billion, many of us cannot even fathom that much money. But... If you think about it in these terms, like if you're 25 years old, 
you've already used up 788 million of those seconds. And if you're 50 years old, you've already been around for almost 1.6 billion seconds. So that 2.5 billion doesn't seem so far away anymore, does it? It kind of puts it into perspective. You are a mist that comes quickly and vanishes. So I'll ask you the same question that James asked. What is your life? Are you spending your life living in opposition to God? Or are you falling humbly before him to receive a greater grace through Jesus Christ? As you receive that grace, are you using your time for the good of others? No matter how many seconds you have left on this earth, are you spending that time wisely? Are you visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, like James says in chapter 1, verse 27? Are you providing food and clothes to those that are in need, like in chapter 2, verse 16? Are you seeking ways to love your neighbor as yourself? Now, I don't want you to think that you can't plan for your future. Well, I guess I can't make any plans because James told me I can't. You're missing the point. James is warning against the kind of planning that eliminates God from the discussion. The kind of presumptuous planning that indicates that you have full control over the situation and that leaves God waiting at the door. It is good to have long-term goals, but in order to achieve those goals, short-term steps must be taken. What steps are you taking today or throughout the week to continually resist the devil and instead turn to Christ Jesus for deliverance? The final verse of chapter 4 echoes the sentiment from James earlier in his letter. Verse 17 says that, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you remember back to James chapter 1, verse 22, it urges us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. The same is said in chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But what does it mean to do what is right? As I close, I want you to reflect on the inward attitudes that dominate your life. In order to fully commit to a right relationship with God, are there attitudes that need to change within you? Maybe it's presumptuousness. Maybe it's pride. Or maybe it's being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Whatever the case may be, I encourage all of us to live lives in obedience to the two great commandments. To love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this morning, you are invited to come to the table of our Lord to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus and rejoice for the grace that has been poured out from God 
the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.